0: We'll pick up the ball, Anderson, as we Thanks. get any news about what the Republicans decide to do. I'll do my best coup and impersonation. All right. Thank you very much. I am Chris Cuomo and welcome to primetime. Look, it's my argument to you that all of you have to worry about the GOP identity crisis, whether it's your party or not, or you're not about party. Why? Well, we have to know if this party is going to at least try to return to the likeness of Lincoln or continue to court forces that are more akin to the man that killed him because that's what these extremists and conspiracy cultists are about, animus and violence. For a party that is consumed with division, with defining us versus them, well, here's your chance. Us are those who live under the laws and intolerance of one another. This is them. Do you see them? Do you see what they did? This is the only them to worry about in American society. So as we watch a party in search for its soul, the answer is cloudy because we already know what the man too many of them pay fealty to, the former president, wants to come of them and of these people and from them. He is on trial for his incessant incisement for the angry to take action. That's the case of incitement. For the angry to take action to fight for the election to be overturned. And before anyone tries to make this about anything else, but what about this? What about the summer? Remember this. Remember what you're seeing. We have never seen anything like it. It is the worst, period. And they are our worst, period. Too many have hidden from the truth about Trump's intentions for too long. January 6th was the price of that. The same people who are silent about January 6th and why it happened are now also quiet as a QAnon kook rises in their ranks. Think about that. Tonight, we stop and we must remember January 6th and the disaster let loose on our democracy. One of the heroes of that day is about to be posthumously honored on our watch. Capitol Police Officer, Brian Sicknick. He's gonna be lying in state. He's gonna be lying in a position of honor tonight at the US Capitol. He valiantly fought an armed Trump mob nearly four weeks ago. His family arrived soon with his remains. Why is this the first commemora- commemoration tonight of January 6th? Back in 1988, we had two Capitol officers that died trying to stop a gunman Everybody was on board then. Everybody talked about it and why its significance was so great. Not now. Why didn't the death of this officer cause the outrage in the GOP ranks of so many others? We on this show will not allow the Capitol attack to be forgotten. I will carry the ceremony for you tonight. Every time there's a moment there, we'll go to it so we can share it and remember it. Now, One of the strongest voices in the House Republican caucus tonight is making a stand. And we'll have him on the show to talk about his party and what is going on and what this night should mean for all of us. We're exactly one week out from the trial of the accused inciter of the insurrection and now have our first look at the extensive arguments from both sides. President Trump is singularly responsible for the violence and destruction, personally responsible. That's from the nine House impeachment managers in their 80-page brief. Incitement by Trump, they argue, that went on for months before January 6th by baselessly claiming the election was stolen from him. The response? Take a look at this. His people can't even spell United, let alone make the case that this president was about anything to do with properly leading the United States of America. Oh, just a typo. First of all, no, not on something of this magnitude. You don't make a mistake on page one. And it isn't something they did just once. They did it twice. Okay? there's another mistake on page nine. And again, maybe it's Freudian that they can't even spell united because the word bears no resemblance to anything the former president was about. Here's their argument. There is no basis on which to say Trump's claims that the election was stolen are wrong. Really? No claims. All the lawsuits, all the members of the states that are Republicans and Democrats, Congress certifying the vote. There's no basis for saying that he's wrong. Remember, it's not just about him and his mouth. It's about the reality of who and what remains. A party that is acting more like a gang. Many, too many, being more careful about how they speak about a QAnon kook in their ranks than they were about how they spoke about Trump during the primary. Listen to Senator Lindsey Graham. Are these postings accurate? I wanna hear from her. Before I judge what to do about her, I wanna know what the facts are. He knows the facts. She literally walks around with a camera, taping herself, spewing bile, and he knows it. This is the same guy that said Trump was hell bound. Remember that? For what he believed during the primary. He didn't seem to show any hesitancy about him. Why about her? Trump wasn't even talking about drinking baby blood. Look, this is the hand Biden was dealt. He can't just act ignoring the reality of everything in half of Congress. It doesn't work. So we have to pay attention. Democrats are in a spot. They are forced to decide, do we wait on sanity to return to the right? Or do we do what we believe is right on their own? Now, one of the most influential voices on the way forward in the Senate is Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. What does he think of this moment we share tonight? Of what is right coming out of tonight and what would be the way forward to get people the help they need? The Senator joins us now. Sir, welcome back to primetime. you am with you, Chris. How are you? Why do you believe it is important for us to have the family and the remains of Officer Sicknick and for it to be something that all of our elected officials recognize?
1: Well, it's a day we must never forget, and it's a day that basically the officer's family will never forget and never recover from because he'll always be lost to them, and, and it's just it's such a sad scenario, but when someone basically gives their life defending uh, our democracy, defending our capital, and defending each one of us who were in there, that's what they were defending. They were defending the government, and we were the government that day trying to make do our job and do what we're taxed to do, and here's a man that stood there and uh, gave his life. So I think it's very appropriate that we pay respects and we never forget him or his family.
0: How do you make sense of the fact that the Republicans and Democrats were equal that day? You were all being hunted. Uh, You were all in legitimate fear of what was to come. And yet on the basis of party, if you're a Democrat, you talk about what happened on the 6th and who did it and what it should mean. On the right, the silence is eerie. What does that tell us about the state of play in that party?
1: Well, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful. And I, you've got to be optimistic and hopeful, Chris, that the good people in the grand old party will take back their party. It's not the party. I mean, I always, I've always gotten along good with everybody, and I've always tried to have good dialogue and have differences and try to work through our differences. But it was always good input. But right now, they're almost afraid. They're muzzled and afraid to speak because they don't know what's lurking ahead if someone's going to be basically primarying them and if someone's going to come after them or whatever. I don't know. I, I, I really feel sorry for a lot of my friends that are caught in this situation. There's a lot of good people and they just need to speak up. The worst thing can happen is we can get defeated. And that's not a bad, that's not a, that is not a big price to pay for your integrity and, and your soul.
0: And yet here you are now, uh, the Democrats have to figure out the way forward. Mm -hmm. Ideally, it would be nice if both sides could make deals and have progress be quick, because this isn't going to be as fast or as easy for the Democrats as people seem to suggest if they go it alone. What is the chance that you can actually get a significant number of Republicans to sign on to a relief package now?
1: Chris, I've I've always believed in, I, I, uh, I really thought that this is wrong for us to go down this path. But I respect the president's decision because he said, he said, Joe, he says, we've, we've done this before, and he says, you know, back in 2013, Pat trying to pass the Affordable Care Act, about eight or nine months, we dealt in good faith, and at the end of the day, no one was there for us, so they remember that, and we can't wait that long. So I respect and appreciate that. I still think there's uh, Republicans that will come to a responsible, reasonable uh, agreement. Uh, I was very, very encouraged uh, that the first meeting he had with any Congress." Any members from Senate to the Congress uh, was ten of my Republican colleagues for over two hours in the White House uh, two nights ago. That was tremendous, and, and I can tell you they were so appreciative. And just what a breath of fresh air to see some, just just to see some civility and respect that that office really has. And it's uh, I, I've got good hope. I really do. We have to, and I've said this, Mr. President. I want you to know, and I've told my my side of the aisle that that we're going to do this in a bipartisan way. Chuck Schumer said on the fo- floor this morning, this will be done in a bipartisan way. And I can assure you that we're not going to bust a filibuster. We're not going to bust a Bird rule that basically protects the filibuster. We're going to work with each other, whether they like it or not. We're going to if we want to get a bill done.
0: Remind people what the Bird rule is and why reconciliation wouldn't be all one-sided.
1: Well, the bird rule basically keeps you in the middle of the road. It keeps the, it's got the guardrails on, and you can't go too far left, too far right. It basically says it can only be for a budgetary. It's a budget reconciliation. Cedric it Richmond o-
0: told me last night, Senator, you know, Biden's senior official, you know him from Congress, okay. said, no, 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 it doesn't apply. Uh, this is not about the budget. This is all emergency spending. Uh, none of that applies, so reconciliation will be fine. There's no reason for a 60 vote on this. Is it that simple?
1: Not that simple at all. Not on our side. Maybe it is on their side. I don't know how their side operates and the rules they ro- that they uh, work under. Our side basically, there will be called to the chair. The parliamentarian will be called to rule. Does this does this is this the, go through the bird rule? And the bird rule basically says it has to be within the budgetary means. There be people that try to try to uh, expand that. I'm sure, but then the chair will be called on the parliamentary procedural and the parliamentarian will be called on. She will make a ruling based on the rules. They can challenge that and there'll be a vote on it. But so we'll see where it goes. How many
0: votes do you need to beat the parliamentarian? 51. So it's a simple majority even if they contest. Simple it majority the
1: even trying to, trying to protect the rules is a simple majority.
0: So I, I know that we're still early in this process, but you're being defined by it. Uh, they're saying, but for Joe Manchin. We respect Joe Manchin, but for Joe Manchin. Is Joe Manchin... Not to speak of yourself in the third person, but are you on an island here, or do you believe that you are speaking for other Democrats in the Senate that are not comfortable with some of the things going on? Uh,
1: there's others. There really is. And maybe they're not. Uh, I mean, my 10-year voting record puts me where I am. And I am i think I'm the most centrist uh, person in Congress out of 535 voting in the middle. And I've always said, if I can co- go home to my beautiful state of West Virginia and tell my friends... If I can explain it to them, I can vote for it. If I can't explain it, I can't vote for them. It's not about party or party lines. If it makes sense, it makes sense. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I try to, I've always tried to uh, operate under those rules, and I will continue to. And I told my friends in, in, in the Democrat caucus, I said, I'm not going to proceed unless we do it in a bipartisan way. There's no reason for us. The president of the United States knows my position on this. I respect him. I consider him my friend. I want him to succeed and do extremely well. And I think he will. He has a demeanor for it and he has definitely the knowledge and the experience for us to come together and work together as much as humanly possible. If anybody can bring us together, it's Joe Biden. He's the right person, right time, right place. So you probably
0: noticed, especially for me, I'm not going after what happened with you and them sending the vice president down there yeah. and what the internal. That politics was a mistake. Is.
1: That was just a mistake. Chris. But
0: here's why I'm not even going there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I want this process to be the best that it can be and give it the best chance of having cooperation on both sides. It happens yeah. fast before it gets ugly. I know this isn't over. You are welcome here uh, to discuss <laughs> where this winds up and why and what it means for you and for the rest of the country and those voting. You have that opportunity.
1: Well, Chris, I appreciate it. There's a lot of rules and basically uh, structures that we have to work within, and you have to respect that. And with that, I'm sure they'll be pushing the limits because everybody has pent-up aspirations. I understand that. But I am going to defend the seat to my dear friend, the late Robert C. Byrd. He gave his life, and I've explained it this way. He said, hey, Joe, why do you think we have two senators for Rhode Island and two senators from California? Why would we? have a government like that? Why would we have a part of our Congress for the big and no matter how big or how small, same representation? No difference in the filibuster. The minority has input. No difference in the rule, the the, the Byrd rule. He said they named after me so we can protect it so people can't go around it and destroy it. I am going to defend Robert C. Byrd's legacy and the Senate. You're going to have uh, headwinds coming
0: your way <laughs> and we'll see how it plays a- out. And you're always ready to make the case here. You'll get the invitation. Be well, Senator.
1: Thank you, my friend. Thank All right, you, Chris. take care.
0: Bye-bye. All right, now, we are on watch, okay? Uh, we've been watching in the control room. We're starting to see the authorities come, officials are coming, they're getting ready for something that we haven't seen since 1988, okay? That was when you had two Capitol Police officers were lost in the line of duty trying to stop a gunman from entering the Capitol. Since then, but now this was January 6th, this wasn't a one-off, this wasn't some rogue person, this wasn't a lone wolf, this was a group a mob that came to attack our democracy. And it is shocking the silence about this. This is the first time we've had a commemoration tonight. Why? Why isn't this the talk that knitted us back together? We will take every moment of this. You will see what happens tonight so that we can remember January 6th and why we wanna be in a better place. Also tonight, we have news about the COVID vaccine, okay? there's been a big piece of news about how you can get the vaccine and a big piece of news coming out of the UK about concerns about what the vaccine actually protects it against. But pharmacies are gonna be huge for us here, right? Why? We're all comfortable going to the drugstore. We trust our pharmacists. In fact, most people trust a pharmacist more than a doctor. But like everything else in this pandemic, the pharmacies and their role in here hasn't been simple. We're lucky tonight we have the chief medical officer of one of the key players, all right, Walgreens. Walgreens has played a big role, is about to play a much bigger role. What are the realities? What are the challenges? Next. All right, first, let's remember where we came from and then we'll talk about where we're going specifically with the pandemic. We are waiting on Officer Sicknick's remains to show up with his family. This is the first time we commemorate what happened on January 6th. Part of the shame of where we are today is how quickly some have wanted to forget what happened and why it happened. Capitol Police officer Brian Sicknick lost his life that day. Others did too. But he was in the line of duty. He was protecting men and women who were being hunted, who now almost deny the existence of that day, but more importantly, its significance. But we won't we have to remember what happened. Because we all know the adage, you don't learn from your history, you are doomed to repeat it. And January 6th was not another protest gone wrong. It was orchestrated and it was indicated by a lot of ugly language to do exactly what they did. They didn't attack a storefront, they attacked the sacred space of our democracy with an intention to stop the election process, to stop The certification to stop our democracy and those forces are alive and well and now online with all new feeding sources because they've been put into the political uh, dialogue by our former president and they're radicalizing online at a rate that we have not seen before just ask the men and women in charge of keeping us safe so tonight we will remember we're going to wait see if the president shows up who comes the commemoration the solemnity of the occasion the remembering of the pain and the significance, because that's how we learn. And that's how we look at through the lens of accountability for the men and women who remain in power, who were there that day, how they speak and how they don't matters. Now, what else matters? What this administration is doing to get us to a better place. It's all about the vaccine. Now we have variants versus vaccine. We're gonna take on both parts, okay? Here's big news that came out today. Beginning next week, the federal government is going to ship vaccines directly to thousands of retail pharmacies all across the country to begin phase two. Okay. Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid. Those are the big chain names. Okay. White House officials caution. It's going to take time before every major store can get it. CVS, uh, they're going to get about 250,000 doses next Thursday to vaccinate across 11 states. It's not that much. Walgreens expects around 170,000 doses to distribute across 15 jurisdictions. Uh, so how soon will this make a difference? And what is the role of the pharmacy in this? Why is this the best way? Let's get some answers about what's happened and what needs to happen from Walgreens chief medical officer, Dr. Kevin Band. Good to see you, sir.
2: Chris, good to be on the show. Thank you.
0: Can Walgreens and other big chains handle this mandate from the federal government to start moving into phase two? What does this mean for you?
2: You know, it's important, Chris, to know that we don't start from scratch here. We've been building our vaccine program for the last 10 years and we've got infrastructure. So this is a big deal. You know, we started with phase one, that was the long-term care facilities. And now we'll be receiving vaccine directly from the federal government. And then the idea is that we'll take that vaccine and we'll go into vulnerable communities uh, that really need it most.
0: Uh, Criticism. Uh, The pharmacies kind of found their way into the federal government because this is an opportunity uh, to you get into revenue streams. What is the reality for Walgreens
2: and why you're involved? Okay, so that is inaccurate. This was not a commercial play. We were collaborating with the federal government around testing, and they knew that if they collaborated with us, if we worked together on the vaccine program, that we would be able to be successful because of our footprint. Now, our instinct with this, Chris, was that we wanted to lean immediately into our stores. Instead, the federal government, OWS, said, look, 40% of the pandemic deaths have occurred in these long-term care facilities, and that's where we need to start. So, quite honestly, that for us was a steeper mountain, but we talked about it and we decided it was the right thing to do. Not the easy thing to do, but the right thing to do, and that's why we started there.
0: So, instead of doing it in the stores where you have the infrastructure and you know how to do it because you do it already, you went into the long-term care facilities. There wound up being two really uh, interesting issues for the audience in looking back to how we got here. One... What did you find in terms of what you had been told versus the reality in those places? And uh, let's start there. What did you find?
2: Yeah, well, look, the when we went after we went into these long term care facilities, we had to estimate how much vaccine we would need. And the idea there was that we wanted to have more vaccine. The worst case scenario would have been that we didn't have enough to vaccinate people. So we knew we had a little bit more than necessary. When we got there, what we learned was that the occupancy of these facilities was much, much less than we thought. And not only the vaccine hesitancy, particularly among the employees, was high. Just yesterday, Chris, the CDC reported that it was as high as 60%. So very quickly, we found that we had excess vaccine. And we did two things there. Number one, we pushed vaccine to the next eligible clinic. And then we let the states know, we don't control the vaccine. They do. And we said to them, do you want us to vaccinate based on your eligibility or do you want the vaccine back? And Chris, if you ask any state, you'll find that it is, in fact, the truth.
0: Now, when we talked to the governor of Utah, he said, yeah, we had to go there. And I said, I'm coming with the National Guard and I'm coming or you can give it to me. Was that the nature of the relationship? Were you trying to hoard vaccine?
2: That's the last thing. Like I said, we found ourselves in a situation where we had more vaccine than we needed. The last thing we would do was ever hold it. And so immediately what we did was get in touch with the states to make sure that we were compliant with their wishes. Walgreens does not determine who gets vaccinated. We're the last mile of this. We're the ones who actually distribute and administer it but only based on state eligibility.
0: You know, something interesting happened today. There's a report out of Ohio uh, that there was a problem with storage, a mishandling because of the temperature sensitivities, uh, and that you guys are putting it out there that this happened. Uh, That's an unusual degree of transparency, so I want to exploit it. Um, How difficult is it to handle this cold chain, and how likely are problems?
2: Let me pick up on that point about transparency, Chris. From transparency comes trust. And that is one of the most important things that we can build as we uh, work our way through this this program. Uh, So transparency means that you have to call balls and strikes. In this particular situation, and I'm learning more about it, uh, it would seem that our systems failed. Now, we're trying to figure out exactly what happened there so that we can protect That it from happening again in the future. Importantly, none of the patients who received vaccine were injured and we quickly got in touch with the manufacturers and what we've learned is that we just need to revaccinate those people. But again, it's important to realize that this is a really tricky process. This cold chain takes a lot of, uh, I mean, literally it takes cryogenic gloves And so these things will happen. We just need to be transparent and we need to fix them. I've been hearing
0: about a lot of things happening. What was so shocking to me is that you guys didn't deny it. You know, we're coming out of this phase where everything was denied. Everything is a lie. Uh, so I find it refreshing uh, that you guys, at least I didn't have to chase you around about it. And if you can fix it, great, because if you're having problems, I'm sure they will be instructive to other people who are handling it. So my last question for you, doc is in terms of what you've learned about how complicated this is, because we look around, there are always, always different rates. Um, No one can seem to get the supply. um, And it seems like state by state, there's always like a different story. What did you learn?
2: Well, the important thing here is that we actually do learn through the process and that we give the feedback so we can fix it. You know, one of the decisions that was made early was to allow all of the states and jurisdictions to have autonomy over you know, how they want to determine eligibility. Well, you know, instead of having one stakeholder for Walgreens, now we have 66. There are 50 states, there are 16 jurisdictions, considered, you know, the Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico. And now we have to work with 66 different stakeholders to make sure that we're doing the right mm-hmm. thing. Now, that's not 64, uh, 66 times more difficult. That's some power of it. I um, get it. You know, look, what I would say here is si- simplicity will equal speed. We're trying to simplify.
0: Listen, I appreciate you being transparent. You have a platform here to make the case of what you're seeing that works and what needs to work better because it's gonna be vaccines versus variants. Dr. Kevin Band, good luck at Walgreens and thank you for being straight with us. Thank you, Chris. All right, be well. All right, this is the moment uh, tonight and we have to live it together. Uh, We see that we've had the vehicle drive up uh, and the family is coming with the remains Uh, The officer was cremated, so they're bringing his remains so that um, the officer can be in a position of being memorialized and remembered for his sacrifice. You see officers there assembled on their bicycles. Uh, You see them lining as phalanx. Again, we haven't lived a moment like this together since 1988. Uh, That is when two officers were lost in line of duty trying to stop a gunman from entering the Capitol. But it was nothing of this magnitude. This was no lone wolf, and that's why you're seeing it's being treated with the solemnity that this occasion deserves. There's several different phases to this, and I want you to see uh, each one of them. Let's just listen and watch for a few moments. While we wait for the officer uh, to gather the remains and the family and make their procession up into the Capitol, uh, let's bring in Charles Ramsey and David Gregory uh, to reflect on why we're doing this and why it matters. Um, Chief and Commissioner, you've uh, held so many positions in law enforcement, you know the force down here intimately well. Why does this matter so much tonight and why does it demand this kind of attention? Well, it's part of the healing. I mean, it means an awful lot to the family of Officer Sicknick, but it also means a lot to the men and women of the U.S. Capitol Police and police across the country, quite frankly. I mean, for an officer to lose their life in a line of duty, uh, there is nothing that's more traumatic to a police agency uh, than that. And of course, uh, January 6th was uh, something that all of us need to remember and, and not forget. Uh, And this officer died protecting the lives of our of our country, of our members of our Congress. And he should be paid this kind of uh, tribute. You know, David, I can never I can't remember another time that something like this happened. And there was such (coughs) quiet on half of the political aisle, let alone when you add the fact that many of them were being protected by officers like Sicknick that day. And yet, this is the first time we've commemorated the occasion. There's very little discussion about why it was wrong and what must be learned from it. It's the first I can think that's being treated this way. You?
3: Well, I think there's certainly agreement about the solemnity of the night, of the occasion, and um, the sadness and and the horror of the day. Um, I think where it quickly devolves and descends is who's to blame, what's to blame, how do we hold those accountable? Um, and you look at the backdrop of this capital, where you know, this occasion is a time to lift up someone who uh, died in the line of duty, um, and yet the political overtures or the political duties kind of overtake it in a way that uh, uh, they can cheapen these moments. But as the commissioner just said, you know, it's a reminder, too, I mean, we're living in an age where there's so much scrutiny of our police officers, and often that's appropriate. But what's also appropriate tonight is to celebrate police officers doing their job protecting institutions like our United States Capitol, and in this case, Officer Sicknick losing his life in that process.
0: In the defense of the lawmakers themselves and the cradle of our democracy. Uh, Something unlike anything we've seen since 1812. You just saw the officers arm in arm with the Sicknick family. And now you see the officer carrying the remains of Officer Brian Sicknick lost in the line of duty at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. You see uh, that this is a very elaborate ceremony. There's so many officers there. The family was at the top of the stairs of the Capitol, arm in arm with other members of the Capitol Police as Brian Sicknick's remains were removed from the hearse and walked up. Officers on either side of him, uh, a flag folded behind. And now uh, you see the detail coming out to escort him in where he will. be revered and remembered as a fallen hero in the line of duty, protecting not just the cradle of our democracy, that would be more than enough, but our lawmakers who were inside its walls. And this is where the officers' remains will be. And people can come to remember, to think about what January 6th took from, from us and what should be learned from it. Let's bring in Congress member Adam Kinzinger, Republican, Illinois veteran. Uh, always good to see you, Congressman. Um, you too. Ordinarily, when we're commemorating uh, and memorializing people who died in service of this country, I talk to you about your own service. You play a different role here now. You are being protected by this Capitol policeman. And I tell you, I, I have to apologize. I, I didn't hear you tell the story of your experience that day until recently. I should have thought to ask you about it. Um, And it is really frightening, Uh, brother. I am sorry that you had to get to the point where you felt you had to arm yourself and think this may be it. After the events ended, what changed in you in terms of what you carry forward about that day?
4: Yeah, I mean, it was a day that, uh, you know, there was so much confusion, obviously, but a day that when you look back and the dust settles, you just wonder how we got here. I mean, you look at, you know, the mess of the Capitol, the anger, the pure evil that was being yelled at, that there was being shouted at these officers, you know. And I, I recently talked to one of the officers there, and he just basically relayed the whole story of what it was like to me, and he happens to be a Metro PD, uh, which is the D.C. police, and... They rushed like 800 of them here, and, and you know, they defended democracy as well. And, and, you know, he talked about just masses of humanity fighting against each other. He said it was basically medieval, but that they were in armed in basically hand-to-hand combat. And you think about the sacrifice. Nobody went to work that, that day thinking it would end up like that. Democracy changed, but I think it's important to say that because of Officer Sicknick and the others, democracy held. I mean, we continued and we did our, our votes that night democracy held, and it's a wake-up call to just how fragile it could be.
0: You know, it's interesting. While you're speaking, Congressman, I just want you to know what we're seeing. We just saw the congressional leadership enter. Uh, I saw Pelosi, I saw McCarthy, uh, obviously the, the Speaker of the House and a minority leader. Um, I saw Steny Hoyer, another senior member of the Democratic ranks, uh, Senator Schumer, obviously the majority leader now. And now here come the remains. Uh, Let's honor this with quiet as they present Officer Sicknick in the Capitol. All right, the shot's gonna come back of what's happening inside and what it does. Uh, We'll bring it to you. Um, Congressman, we were watching the solemnity of this and the leadership coming together uh, to remember what was, and yet the reality outside these walls is a complete division. Um, I've never seen an occasion like this almost denied by half of the political membership where they don't want to talk about January 6th, we should move on. Who really knows what it was? It kind of gets complicated with impeachment. There's nothing complicated about this. There's nothing complicated about what's happening in your party right now. The shocking part is that you are among such a small number willing to take risk. I don't even understand why this is so risky for you to stand up and say, hey, I'm a Republican. I'm the party of Lincoln. Uh, not John Wilkes Booth. You know, QAnon is not for us. The people who went that day who thought they were helping us, we got to deny them loudly. We're not about them. Why is this a challenge for you? You know, I
4: think we've forgotten the art of leadership or really how to lead, I guess. You know, leadership isn't always going and figuring out what the polls say and, and doing whatever we need to to get elected. It's sometimes leading in dark moments. It's sometimes calling out things like QAnon or saying that the idea of an election being stolen with widespread you know, widespread, whatever, is false. It's not real. And it's difficult to say that because you're going to have to take some immediate blowback. But this lesson from this that, you know, is is a painful and tragic and costly lesson is if you continue to not tell people the truth, they eventually believe totally, totally off the wall things and will find themselves being motivated to go into, as an example, the United States Capitol. An officer is murdered. Many, I mean, close to 100 officers injured and destroy the place and try to say it's the equivalent of what happened last summer or anything like that. It is, it is so incumbent right now, Chris, on leaders to call out these dark, divisive conspiracies and just look with a sober eye and say, how did we get here and how do we get out of here? It's, we have to do that.
0: I mean, did you ever think that it would be as a member of Congress where you'd have to pull your sidearm and think about defending your life against people coming to kill you for what you represent?
4: I never would have imagined having to do it here. And, you know, there was a period of about a half hour where, you know, I thought the whole place had been breached and, you know, that I was going to have to do that. Um, thankfully, the officers fought some to the end of their life, uh, two, you know, took their own lives in the aftermath of this, uh, but defended democracy and, uh, and fought this mob and, and did so honorably because democracy is not just worth defending for them. They found it worth, you know, Brian Sicknick found it worthy to give his life for. And we have people that sit around and are scared to give their career for the same cause. Like, look, I'm not sitting here saying everybody has to be a hero at all times, but something basic like just doing the right thing and telling your constituents the truth should be the really basic part of the job.
0: You know, I've been going light on the language about the war within the party. I call it an identity crisis because I can't believe there's a legitimate dispute um, you know, Lindsey Graham on the Senate side and so many on the House side, they were tougher about Donald Trump in the primary than they're being about, you know, an open QAnon uh, supporter. And you're putting together your own effort now to kind of reestablish principles. We hear that there's a meeting with McCarthy and maybe other people to talk about her fate. I mean, what do you think happens within the party with her and in general? I mean, we're in a split screen with the Capitol right now, and it seems to be an occasion that your party can't get away from fast enough. Yeah, I know.
4: I, uh, I, I don't know what the future holds in terms of this. I know that I'm compelled to tell the truth and to say, you know, look, the The Republican Party can be worth defending, and it is, but we have to remember where we came from and we have to remember how to lead and be honest. We need a healthy Democratic Party and a healthy Republican Party. But where we're at now is not, this isn't just about winning the next election, because honestly, if we continue down this path, there is not even going to really be a next election because the whole thing's going to implode. So I think it's a, I, I, it's a wake up call for some. And I hope there are some that are just, you know, being quiet that stand up soon. But it's about painting an optimistic vision. And for, you know, the base voter who they love their country and they believe that Donald Trump was that person to defend the country, I think we all just need to step back. Look at what happened in the Capitol. Look at the lies that were told and say, you know, we can still hold to our principles. We deserve better truth and honesty to people. And it's easy to do. If you tell the truth, it's easy. You don't have to track your lies.
0: You know, you are not a big mouth. Uh, You're not a loud guy. You're not about histrionics. Um, The only time I've seen you wide-eyed was when after you guys, thank God, survived unscathed and you went back in and did your work that night, which I thought was so brave, uh, a little reckless actually, but I was very impressed uh, that you guys decided to do that so soon after this incursion, they didn't even know what was left behind. To see so many people stand up and say, I support the lie. I support the big lie. I don't want to certify the election. That's when I saw you get loud and proud about what was going on around you. How did you understand it then in the immediate aftermath of what you had to survive?
4: I was shocked. I mean, you know, to go down there and and see, you know, people automatically or already say that this was they know for a fact now that this was Antifa. And, you know, to try to sweep this under the rug and still vote to decertify these election results and say that it's acceptable. I mean, that actually was a real delineating moment for me. The election and the the lies about a stolen election was one thing, but then not learning this lesson after January 6th is really what's compelled me to speak out even stronger because it's like, look, I, I mean, again, you know, Brian Sicknick, this hero, gave his life for democracy. We have to be willing to at least make ourselves politically uncomfortable to tell people the truth, at least.
0: You think there's a chance that the party decides to be about progress and not do an Obama kind of opposition move that happened last time in the middle of a pandemic, at least? Do you think there's any chance or you think the Democrats are going to have to go through reconciliation, go one way? I I think there's a chance,
4: but I think it takes honest, real conversations. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing with the country first movement is just being honest to people. Am I going to be overly hopeful that we're going to, you know, wake up and see that? I don't know. But uh, being a loyal opposition is a good thing. You can oppose stuff. Yeah, it's jobs of political parties, but being loyal to your country above even any loyalty to your party is what we need to get back to. And then this democracy will be frustrating for some people, but it'll function and it'll work again.
0: I'm just hearing in my ear, Congressman, uh, the president has left a motorcade from the Capitol Uh, from the White House. He's coming to the Capitol. We're awaiting his arrival. Uh, We will show it when he comes. It's important for him to be there uh, tonight. And it's important for you to stand up for what you think is right. And just as a reflection of the times, it makes sense that somebody's going to primary you um, from a more, you know, from an extreme part of the fringe that you had to expect uh, maybe anyway. But is there pressure within your own family about what you're doing right now? You know, my immediate family is
4: great, but my my there are some cousins of my father that sent a certified letter, a handwritten two-page certified letter, said I was in the devil's army among a whole bunch of other stuff, and then they doubled down about a week or two ago with another certified letter uh, reaffirming their belief. And this is the kind of thing I laugh about it because it doesn't bother me. You know, I've I've been doing this job and standing up for stuff for a while, but. It's kind of indicative of what's happening in a lot of families, people that ascribe to QAnon or that take, you know, politics higher than any bond with family. Um, that's what we got to get away from. It's tough to survive that. And uh, and this is a human moment tonight. You know, Brian Sicknick gave his life to defend democracy. And I'm not naive to think that this is going to be the biggest game changer. But I hope we take a moment to realize that, you know, whether it's somebody in the military or a first responder or whoever, anywhere that have stood up to defend you're right to have an opinion. We have to see the humanity in everybody now. And I think we've lost seeing the humanity in the other side, quote unquote, and that's a problem.
0: The I mean, devil's army um, <laughs> and them attacking the Capitol this way and what they were saying, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you defended the country from abroad and that I was able to you know, report on uh, with the protection of men and women like you abroad. I've never seen anything like this in the mainstream in America. And my concern is listening to the people at uh, the intel agencies, as I know that you have much better access, they're really worried that these people, these extreme groups have been entered into the mainstream, the bloodstream of our political dialogue and are radicalizing like never before online. I mean, I don't think that this is a one-off incident in terms of what's been opened up here. Yeah, I'm a little worried about that, too.
4: And I I think part of that is, look, we have not been pushing back aggressively enough, early enough, openly enough. Um, And so I do worry about what's happening. But I, I, I think that the more that people stand up and say something, I mean, look, if you're buying into this idea that the government's run by, you know, pedophiles that have sworn an allegiance to Satan or by Satan himself, And we actually talk about that and not in a way that ridicules maybe somebody that believes it, but just says, "Okay, let's think logically about this. The best way to disinfect, you know, an infection is with sunlight and with with openness, honesty and optimism. And I think we need more of that. I think we just need more of respecting each other as people. It's not going to magically happen tomorrow. But if we can just start to move that ship that way, we have a lot to be proud of in this country. We have a lot to be optimistic about hundred percent. Remember it.
0: hundred percent. But boy, we should have gotten a little bit more of a wake up call sooner than we have. I mean, look, we've known each other a while. I'm not a left right guy. I'm a right and wrong guy. And I respect you standing up for what you believe is right when it's not even popular. Although I got to say, it's shocking to me that it isn't. Adam Kinzinger, uh, be safe. I'm assuming uh, the holidays will be at your house this year, given the state of play in your own family. Uh, you, (laughs) You and the family are welcome over at my house. Just bring a helmet. All right, brother. Thanks. God, God bless and be well. A little bit of levity so that we're not crying all the time um, because this is so sad what we've been living through, and it's our own fault. Uh, nobody did this to us. We're doing it all to ourselves. And we see it all around us. The pandemic, we're making ourselves sick. We're fighting over what we can do to protect ourselves. Our politics, we're making ourselves sick. We're making people so angry, out of self-interest, and it's so obvious, and yet it can't be called out and defended on the basis of party. And it leads to what is on the split screen now. Not since the War of 1812 has any faction dared to come to the cradle of American democracy. And it was done by our own people. Sure, they paraded Confederate flags and a lot of ugly material in that place that had no business in a house of secular truths, of law, and of democracy. But these were Americans that did this. And they did it as a battle cry against their own. And now we have half our political spectrum is quiet about it. We should move on. It hurts unity if you dwell on this. I've never disagreed with something said in politics more. How are we to heal if we don't acknowledge what was wrong and why it was wrong and who did it? I can't believe that the same men and women who were being hunted, turned around and wanted to forget who was coming after them. And that's why tonight matters. And it matters that we're together for it. Brian Sicknick was one man who touched many. He put his life on the line for men and women he didn't even know. His own family now is without and will always have a hole. And we can't even agree that it's gotta be remembered as a low point And we have to come to a better place after it. That's why it's so important that he is lying in a position of reverence. And that, you know, we have political leaders in there. I know on occasions like this, there's a temptation to say, leave politics out of it. This is all about politics. Well, leave it for now. Now just say nice things. No, it's time for truth. If you're going to walk into this room, represent the same solemnity when you leave it. Fight for the same things that you think are represented in the room. That's leadership. That's what we need. And there's our president. We need him very much tonight to be at this event, to lead our intentions, and not under a veil of his adamance not to be there and his not liking it and being forced and kind of agreeing with the bad side of a situation. It has to be clear again, not the policies, but the principles. We have to be about us and them, us being patriots and them being traitors and people who try to destroy us. And this is a hard time to come into a position of leadership, but hopefully all the experience that Joe Biden has lived personally and professionally will come together in a mix to make for the right man in the right moment because we are so desperate for leadership. So here is the president, first time since the 1980s that we've had Capitol officers being commemorated this way for their losing their lives in the line of duty. Then it was one shooter, now it was a mob. 1998, I think I had said 1988 earlier. I'm sorry if I did and I was wrong. Um, But look, here we are now and we've never seen anything like this before. This wasn't a lone wolf. This wasn't one deranged person who had access to a weapon. This was a mob that came with deadly intentions. Let's watch and listen. The president, uh, if you're just joining us now for the big show CNN Tonight with Don Lemon, uh, Brian Sicknick, the Capitol Police officer who lost his life in the line of duty protecting our capital, the cradle of our democracy, and the lawmakers that were hiding within it, uh, has been presented to be memorialized and remembered in state in the U.S. Capitol. We haven't seen anything like this since 1998. Um, officer Sitnik, his family had him cremated. His remains are on the table next to a flag commemorating his service. His and family was a there.
5: Good, it's a good thing, Chris, that we haven't seen anything like this since, and we shouldn't be, we should not be um, watching it now. And as I was listening to you on the, on the way here, um, hearing that an officer died in the line of duty because of an insurrection on Capitol Hill, it's just mind-boggling um, to even fathom Um, Members of of the law enforcement community were supposed to start their visitation and that's what they're doing now at 10 p.m. and I would imagine uh, the president of the United States will be along soon. He arrived. We watched the motorcade bringing him in from the White House. He's not in yet. He hasn't visited. He hasn't. No, he has not visited.
0: But we saw the motorcade.
5: Yeah. So it's just, listen, and I've been receiving word from law enforcement, even law enforcement with Capitol Police and surrounding police departments who, and they are actually happy that we are carrying this. It is an honor to them um, that we pay tribute to this fallen officer. So many of those officers were fighting for their lives on January 6th uh, and were in danger of losing their lives had they not had such, um, exhibited such heroic effort to save that. Capitol, and they did save a lot of lives inside of that Capitol as well, members of, um, of the Senate, members of Congress, and I think you pointed this out earlier, Chris, this is the scene of the crime where he is laying um, in honor right now, and the scene of the crime where they will be voting on impeachment for the president. It's, it's, it's surreal to think that we are actually watching this happen in our country. At this moment, it as, is. We, as we await the president's arrival.
0: Yep, and as soon as he comes up, obviously, um, we'll pay strict attention to it. Uh, I just think that, you know, we always say, Don, we're living in historic times, and here's another never before, you know, not since 1812 has anyone dared try to come into the Capitol, but never before have I seen something where the same men and women who are being protected by this man who gave his life mm-hmm. voted to advance a lie that instigated the entire insurrection immediately thereafter. And we just had the congressional leadership come up and pay homage. And I just hope that they remember what they're holding so dear and solemn inside this room when they leave it and go back to their caucuses and deliberate because we are not living the truth of January 6th, Don.
5: And it's, listen, and we wanna talk about that, but I I wanna focus now for the moment uh, on officer um, Brian D. Sicknick. And his family, his family releasing a statement earlier uh, on Saturday thanking congressional leadership for bestowing this historic honor on uh, the fallen American hero, and he is an American hero. He is laying in honor, Uh, and that is an honor that not many people in this country get to have, but he is deserving of it. And we have to remember the other officers as well. There was one officer, Michael Fanone, who suffered a heart attack and brain injuries uh, from, and said he was fighting for his life and he heard people saying, take his gun. And he believed uh, at that moment that they were going to kill him unless he started to bargain with them and say, listen, I have a family, um, you know, hoping that that would, uh, would would stop them from doing the worst. And apparently in that moment it did work. And he said to, about those people who saved him, thank you, but I wish you, and I'm paraphrasing here, I wish you had not been here um, in the first place. But I think it's... It, tonight, yes, the, the Senate and the Congress should be doing their jobs and thinking about what they're going to do and what they should be doing, but this is an honor to the people you see there, the men and women in uniform all over this country, but especially those who are in the Washington, D.C. area who fought so valiantly on that day um, to protect, not only protect the Capitol, but protect the people who are inside and who continue to do it every day uh, single day. And again, we're the president of the United States, Joe Biden, his motorcade arrived about 9.56 at the Capitol. And we're waiting on him to, um, to enter the rotunda and pay his respects to Officer Brian D. Stickney. Chris.
0: You know, and if it's what I understand, uh, I, we should note the move by the president. He wants the officers to go first um, and be with one of their own and give them that position of priority because they were there first, uh, protecting. And any one of these men and women who were there that day uh, could be receiving the salutes instead of giving them. And that is a very poignant um, reminder. So it's good that they get to go first. And you have to honor the officer, but you also have to honor why he died by learning the lesson of it. I've covered many of these. I've been with men and women and I've watched them give their lives in service to this country at home and abroad. AND THEIR FAMILIES WITHOUT FAILURE WANT TO MAKE SURE THAT A LESSON IS LEARNED IN HONORING THEIR OWN. I THINK
5: you WE NEED TO, AS WE LISTEN TO THIS, KEEP YOUR EYE ON THE DOOR TO THE LEFT OF YOUR SCREEN AT THE TOP, RIGHT UNDER THE um, CAPITOL HILL AND the, THE TIME STAMP HERE. AND THAT'S WHERE THE PRESIDENT uh, WILL BE ENTERING. AGAIN, MEMBERS OF the LAW ENFORCEMENT uh, ARE NOW ENTERING AND PAYING THEIR RESPECTS. Um, AND, YOU KNOW, WE DON'T HAVE CONTROL OF THIS CAMERA. THIS IS A POOL CAMERA TO GET uh, close-ups of exactly who's there, but Chris, I want you to think about as we await the arrival of the president and we watch these men and women in uniform pay their respects. What we've gone through, and e- watching at this particular this particular place, right? We went through an insurrection. Uh, we went through impeachment, right? They're walking the walking the article of impeachment over. We've had an inauguration, and now we have a fallen officer laying in honor. Um, at the Capitol. These are, as you say, as we always say, these are the times that people write about for the history books, and we are living in that time right now.
0: It's an interesting ceremony. They encircle the officer and then they come up in a line and salute. And that is a very powerful embrace of one of their own, literally surrounding them in that sense of honor of their own duty. And they're coming detachment by detachment of uh, different aspects of Capitol Police and other law enforcement. The president is on premises. We're waiting for him to come and to be our collective conscience in this solemn moment.
5: Lying in state is, this isn't lying in state, this is lying in honor, but an honor like this is typically reserved for leaders of American government, Um, but two U.S. Capitol police officers were shot to death in 1998, and they were the first private citizens, as you so rightly said uh, moments ago, to lie in honor um, in the Capitol. And it is a rare occurrence, and I, I think everyone in the audience will agree with me, let's hope it never happens again that we lose officers in the line of duty in in any way, but also especially in uh, an insurrection of people who are trying to overthrow the very democracy um, that we so honor, live, and believe in. Um, An attack on our democracy is the worst of the worst. It is an attack on our freedom um, and our liberty and our persons, it is a personal attack on everything that we believe in. And this officer, this hero, died um, trying to protect that. And I shouldn't say trying to, they did protect it. Because Chris, as we know, even after this insurrection happened, you and I witnessed live on television, we were together, members of uh, the Senate and the Congress going back into the very halls where they had been hiding just hours before in fear had feared for their lives and they went and they they completed their constitutional constitutional duty of certifying the electoral votes certifying the election that happened on November 7th 2020 even though hours before they were in danger of their lives inside
0: these very halls it was very honorable that they went back even at a time where i don't know how you could be completely certain that there was no remaining danger. What had been left behind, all the God forbids that usually takes some time to check and double check. But it also must be remembered, in what January 6th was about, is that after we saw an angry mob that represented the worst of us try to break in and stop the democratic proceedings, you had 140 or so members of one party stand up to echo the lie